Today's scripture comes to us from the 18th chapter of Matthew, verses 15 through 20. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, If two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. My mother and I talked about everything. It started early on in my life. I remember being a little girl and sitting on the edge of the bathtub or on the bathroom floor talking to Mama as she took a bath. Later during my teenage years, We frequently had deep and meaningful conversations in the car as she shuttled my sisters and me back and forth between our home and our high school, which was 15 miles away. We talked about everything from what we learned in school to boys and drugs and sex. Nothing was off limits, and our conversations were always honest and validating. However, when I decided to pursue my calling into the ministry, the last person I felt comfortable talking to was my mom, the one who should have been the easiest person in the world for me to approach. I started seriously listening to my calling as mom's husband was finishing up a stint as a lay pastor at a local church in New Mexico. It was not an amicable separation. I don't know all of the details of what severed the relationship between him and his congregation, but from the little that my mom shared with me, I gathered that it stemmed from two women in the congregation that he served. I understand that the women, for whatever reason, had a long-standing argument, and one or both of them didn't like it when he gave the other one a hug after Sunday services. Things escalated between the two women until at least one of them, and probably both, called the district superintendent to complain about my stepfather with what amounted to trumped-up charges. My stepfather could have easily proven that he had done nothing wrong, but as a layperson, instead of ordained clergy, he decided it just wasn't worth the effort. He ended up resigning from his appointment over the incident. Because of this argument that probably started as a petty difference of opinion, 
a man who had a heart for serving small, struggling congregations, abandoned his call. A congregation was fractured, and my mother was soured on the whole clerical system of the United Methodist Church. As a result, I felt I couldn't talk to my mother about what I was feeling regarding the ministry and expect her to give me an objective opinion. Something that should have never been allowed to get out of hand took away my confidant for one of the biggest decisions I ever had to make. Differences of opinion and even arguments have always been a part of the church, and they always will be. You see, God created us as different people with different personalities and different interests. However, he also created us to be a family, loving and respecting each member, regardless of our opinions. Like in any family, our personalities and our interests sometimes conflict with each other. Like in most families, we usually rely on love and respect to work through the conflicts. It enables us to grow as people and as Christians. Disagreements force us to dig into ourselves to figure out why we think and act the way we do. Sometimes our resolve is strengthened and we come out of the argument knowing ourselves a little bit better. Sometimes we have a change of heart and come away with a different point of view and different convictions. And almost always, we receive a gift of better understanding of the other person. However, when we lose sight of the love and respect of family, it is often easy to let arguments fester until they become infectious and affect everybody that gets caught in the path. Left unchecked, arguments start hurting others. And thus they move out of the realm of a simple difference of opinion and into the realm of sin. Sin is a much different story. It hurts everyone it touches. It causes more than just gut checks and hard feelings. It causes selfishness and arrogance. It causes hatred and brokenness. Sin causes singularity instead of unity and signals the end of relationships. Sin removes us from each other, and it removes us from God. And sadly, it removes our ability to live in community and severs our experience to, or our capacity to experience God's unending love, grace, and mercy. Our sin pains God's heart, so much so that God gave Moses five books of laws to keep his people away from it. Is it any wonder then that Jesus would give instructions for dealing with sin among his followers? Jesus knew that the community of believers could be torn apart by sin. Therefore, he didn't want it to linger, enabling it to fester and feed off of itself until it affected everything in its wake. He didn't want it to fuel the rumor mill and destroy reputations and livelihoods and even lives. Rather, Jesus told his disciples, if another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. Jesus told them, nip it in the bud now. Confront the person who wronged you and work things out between the two of you 
It's nobody else's business. Yet, it's a different story when you are unable or unwilling to settle the issue. Jesus goes on to tell his disciples, But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if members, if the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. The longer sin remains in the community, the more people are affected. And the longer the conflict remains unresolved, the more it becomes the business of the community. When sin becomes corporate, corporate negotiation becomes a necessity. The church is sacred ground, connected by God's love, and it cannot abide with sin in its midst. The community of believers, God's communal church family, must engage the love and respect within it and confront the conflict. Even then, conflict is not always resolvable. When that is the case, when Jesus taught the disciples to treat people like outsiders, telling them, let them to be to you as a Gentile or as a tax collector. Friends, today's church is the same as the one that was started by that group of people who were called out of their diversity to follow a man named Jesus. It is a community that wants to live in relationship with our God. It is a community that wants to experience the love and grace of our Heavenly Father. However, it is a community that doesn't always get it. In our diversity, we, always, we don't always see eye to eye. We will squabble and argue. In our humanity, we will hurt feelings of others, and we will sin and damage others. Left unresolved, our sin will tear the church family apart. In these cases, the lessons that Jesus taught his disciples are still a good starting place to resolve conflicts. A vast majority of our conflicts will be worked out in conversation between the involved parties. More of them will be resolved in the presence of a few witnesses, and still more will be resolved when brought before the Christian community. Yet try as we might, conflict and sin won't always be resolved, even if it is brought before the church. Following the step-by-step prescription in Matthew won't always bring results that are rooted in God's love. As humans, we will allow sin to fester and cause pain and division. It will separate us from each other and from God's love. And each time, each division will pain God's heart. Jesus wants us to be a community, united as a family, and showing God's love, grace, and mercy to each other. To this end, he provided the example for his people to follow. Jesus ate dinner with the tax collector. He ministered to the Gentiles. He loved the unlovable. Jesus loved the sinner and the troublemaker, just as he loved the faithful. He wants us to be in relationships with him and with each other. In our humanness, we often fail in this endeavor. But when we abide in our God, our relationships will be restored and made new. 
When we abide in our God, we can remain true to our unique personalities and interests. We can have our individual opinions, but we can still love and respect each other. When we are in God, we are able to work out conflict before it becomes the sin in the body of believers. Brothers and sisters, Jesus wants his church to remain a vital and vibrant community of believers. That can only be done when the faithful embrace God's love and reach out to others to confront the conflicts that arise among family. We can make that happen, or we can let the conflict fester, infect the body, and cause division among God's people. We can choose singleness, severing relationships with God and our fellow man, or we can be agents of community. We can choose to forgive the hurts and grow in our fortitude, or we can hold a grudge and foster hatred. The choice is up to us. Our loving God wants us to unite in our diversity with love and respect and to become one church family. It is then, as a church family, in agreement, that when we ask, whatever it is will be done for us by our Father who is in heaven. It is then that we can be a vibrant and vital family that we are made to be. And it is then that we can lovingly and gracefully grow with God, grow with others, and grow in service to the world. Amen and amen.